The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to SiriusXM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in New York. If you haven't heard of Greg Kelly, you very likely have heard what happened to Greg Kelly. On November 19, 2018, Kelly was caught up in one of the most shocking arrests the business world has ever known. It set the automotive world on fire. Carlos Ghosn was an auto industry leader, respected by many in Japan. Now he's in jail and is expected to be fired as chairman of Nissan. It is not desirable that the foundations of the company are shaken by the arrest of Gone, but we are going to work hard so that it works in favor of the alliance. Prosecutors say a whistleblower alerted them that Gone conspired to underreport his salary by about $45 million and used Nissan's money to finance homes from Brazil to Beirut. At the time, Carlos Ghosn was the head of the Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi Alliance and the chairman of Nissan. He was arrested after a months-long internal investigation into his reported income and assets. After flying into Japan on a private jet from Lebanon, Carlos Ghosn was arrested by Tokyo District prosecutors, accused of significant acts of misconduct. Kelly, Ghosn's close associate and a Nissan Motor Company board member, was also arrested. Kelly had been asked to fly to Japan for a series of high-level meetings and was immediately taken into custody, charged with underreporting his boss's pay. This week is the one-year anniversary of Kelly's verdict in the Tokyo courtroom, a six-month suspended sentence, which allowed him to return to the United States immediately, three and a half years after his arrest. Of course, Ghosn's case was never settled. In a dramatic global event, Ghosn jumped bail in late 2019, hiding in a box for music instruments on a private jet. He fled to Lebanon, which has no extradition treaty with Japan, and has been writing books and making movies about the ordeal after his arrest. Kelly's case hardly received the same headlines. Kelly and Ghosn were arrested on the same day in 2018, but in the years since, Ghosn has fled Japan and now resides in Lebanon, where he's trying to prove his innocence from there. But Kelly has been left behind within this whole situation, and so for the past 17 months has been testifying here in Tokyo trying to clear his name. So in a sense, it's kind of a proxy for how Ghosn, Carlos Ghosn, would have been judged in Japan had he remained here to be tried. Kelly and his legal team argued during the trial that Kelly was searching for legal ways to pay Ghosn to stop him from leaving for a competitor. Prosecutors had asked that Kelly be sentenced to two years in prison. They alleged Ghosn, Kelly, and Nissan Motor Company underreported Ghosn's compensation by $78 million in filings over eight years through 2018. Kelly had been out on bail and living with his wife in a Tokyo apartment. This week, in the conclusion of our two-part interview with Greg on the anniversary of his release from Japan, we hear the continuation of Greg Kelly's story from Greg Kelly himself. We hear about his thoughts on the future of the Alliance, the cultural lessons learned from his experience in Japan, and his road ahead. Greg Kelly's story, in detail, just ahead of the release of an Apple TV movie on the events of Kelly and Gohm. So let's talk for a little bit about Carlos Gohm. Mm -hmm. Where were you when you first heard that he had been arrested? I was surrounded by five individuals in black suits in a van traveling to the Kosugi Detention Center. 
Right after you landed. Right after I landed. Uh, I still had my cell phone. They hadn't confiscated that. And a former executive at Renault, who had also been my boss at one time, texted me and said, Carlos Ghosn's been arrested. And then about two minutes later, he texted me again. And he said, it's real. He's been arrested. And that's when I first learned about it. And, of course, my phone got confiscated at that time. They heard your phone go off, and they said, give us that. Yeah, they heard the little beep, yep. you know, and, you know, they took my phone. So you're in the van. You're with five guys. You're, you know, somebody needs to call their family, highly unusual. And now you hear that Carlos Ghosn has been arrested, and you you don't even know where you're headed yet. Are, are you headed to the detention center? You're not sure. I didn't know where I was. You didn't know where you were. No. Yeah. yeah but was, now all of a sudden it's coming together a little bit. It really wasn't coming together because it was just, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And, right. and you've traveled uh, overseas. Mm-hmm. I mean, jet lag. Yeah. You're fuzzy. Yeah, just a little fuzzy. Yeah. So you have no contact with Mr. Gone while you're in the detention center. You, you Did you ever see him again? I saw him a couple of times in 2019 at pre-trial conferences that were held, but we never were allowed to talk to each other. Have you talked to him since? I had a conversation with him about a month after I arrived back in the U.S. Uh, he wanted to know how my family was, how Dee was doing, you know, how we were getting along after uh, the situation, because he says it takes a long, you know, quite a while, psychologically, mentally, to get back up on your feet again and he just you know wished us well and and said he hated that we were caught in that situation where were you when you heard that he had escaped in a um music um box if you will yeah of course we didn't know it was a music box for a while but it was 5 a.m in japan i'm in bed Uh, i get a call from my son and he said dad carlos gones left japan and i was shocked i said you mean they let him go he goes, not I, really. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know how he got out of there, Dad, but he's not there. <laughs> and, you know, it was another one of those things that was shocking in this whole situation. So you're still in Japan. He's on his way to Beirut. Mm-hmm. And he's escaped. Yes. And what was your first thought when you heard that he had escaped? Um. One lucky individual. <laughs> I, I just, I thought it was, you know, surreal Yeah. Uh, that I'd heard he'd escaped. I really wanted him to testify at the trial because he would have, you know, been able to testify that I wasn't involved in anything that required reporting. But at the same time, you know, the guy was 65 years old and he was facing several years of litigation. Uh, so he had to make a decision that he thought was best for him and his family. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Carlos Ghosn as an individual. Mm-hmm. What was he like as a leader of the alliance? Oh, I thought he was an excellent leader. Um, he's uh, an individual uh, that's unique, I think, in the auto industry. Uh, there's not many of them in that, you know, how often do you have a leader around for 25 20 years that rescues a company, sustains that success, and actually effectively manages two companies. Uh, he's a very, very bright guy, which is a given. He is a strategic thinker, so he can see the future. Very good um, 
at communicating his strategies in a way that really makes people motivated uh, to try to achieve those. But not only was he strategic and a good communicator, his ability to execute uh, was was very, very good. So uh, I thought he was an effective leader for Nissan and for the Alliance. When you spoke about the Alliance and its performance in the years prior to your arrest, you said that you were really creating something special. Why was that? What was so special about what was being created? Well, you had two companies from very different cultures that were very effectively managed and performing well under his leadership. But what I thought was special, uh, and I truly believe this about the best companies, when you leave a company, you want to leave behind you a team that's going to do better than you. And we actually uh, were able to put together a team. You had an all-star team. They were excellent. Uh, that would have, in my view, achieved much greater growth and profitability than we had under Carlos Ghosn and the team that surrounded him the first 10 years he was there. Jose Munoz, who's now running Hyundai. Mm-hmm. Christian Munier, running the Jeep brand for Stellantis. The list goes on. How are you so good at finding and nurturing talent, Greg? Well, one of the things that I did was work with other members of the top management team to really look for people who were performing and had those abilities that would allow them to move up. You know, strategic, good communicators, people like to follow them, and who could execute. So if you look at, and then putting them in positions that really challenged them. So if you look at Munoz for a minute, very talented guy, probably one of the best people I've ever met in the auto industry. He developed way before this issue with Ukraine, a dealer network 15 years ago that was very good in Russia. Then he ran a country in Russia. So what do you do to develop them? You take them out of Europe. And Carlos Ghosn and Carlos Tavares decided to put Munoz in Mexico and let him run Mexico, where Nissan was, you know, just part of the top five. And he took that thing and ran with it. Within one year, we were number one in the market and mm-hmm. very profitable. Munier came to us out of Nissan Europe and headed a big piece of marketing in North America. Then we said, let's give him another experience. He's going to run a business. He went down to Brazil, doubled market share, increased profitability. Then we put him in Canada. He did a good job. So it's you try to find those individuals, those characteristics, and I think the best developmental tool is to take those talented individuals and put them in situations that are challenging that allow them to grow even further. And the list really goes on. We had one other guy, John Martin. He was a general manager at a factory in supply chain in England. Very bright guy. We brought him to run supply chain in North America. Then he ran supply chain globally and he did great in all of those experiences and then became the head of manufacturing for the Alliance. And at each step of the way, we gave him another challenge that if he did well in it, he would grow and be prepared for a top management role. You've pointed out in the past that the Alliance today should be Nissan, Renault, Mitsubishi, and Fiat Chrysler. In fact, at one point, that was on the table for uh, a while, and you believed in Gohn's plan. Talk about his dreams for the Alliance. Carlos Ghosn wanted to be the leader of the largest automotive uh, group in the world, 
of course, he didn't want to be the leader of the largest that wasn't performing. He wanted to be the head of the largest company or a group in the world that was performing very well. Uh, and he wanted to be strong in different segments and different markets. So with Renault, Nissan, and Mitsubishi, you've got Southeast Asia where Mitsubishi's strong. You've got the U.S. and China where Nissan's strong, Renault's strong in Europe, Fiat's strong in South America, and of course Chrysler has a very big presence in the U.S. and other places. But that also brought a different type of vehicle that we hadn't produced, which was like Dodge and Jeep. So you had a full vehicle lineup, good presence globally where you were successful, really complementary, and something that I think would have really been good for the future in terms of Nissan being in that kind of group and continuing to thrive and do very well. That would have been a formidable lineup. It would have. And, and the thing that I thought was so special about Nissan is we had such a strong management team that I think we would have been first among equals in that group mm-hmm. because individuals like Munoz or a guy named Daniele Scalacci or Trevor Mann, uh, Christian Munier, could have led large pieces of Nissan, but other large uh, pieces of the alliance, other, other businesses. So it was a, a team that really would have done well for Nissan and for the group. And actually, Sergio Marchione, who ran Fiat Chrysler uh, for many years, uh, Ferrari uh, as well, um, he had a vision that was very similar. He believed that economies of scale could truly be achieved and that um, capital could be spent in a, in a more formidable way if, you, if the auto industry got down to a few big players. Yeah, and I, I think Gohn would agree with that, and I, I think that was correct. Right. You would have freed up investment and you can invest it more efficiently. And really, right now, the investment requirements in the auto industry are very daunting because you're really transforming the product that you sell to customers with the powertrain, the autonomous drive. But you still have legacy with many of the companies that you have to invest in. What do you ma- go ahead. What do you make of the alliance now? Of course, news just recently that effectively what was Carlos Ghosn's vision is no longer. Well, yeah. It's come full circle. Right. We we had a very different vision, and I think if that vision had come into play, you'd have a very strong group right now. But I haven't been around the group for four or five years, and there's a different vision now. Um, You know, there's – I'm hopeful that they can execute, collaborate well, and do well in the future – um, I think it's going to be a little bit of a, a challenge because I think in a big group you need to have one controlling body, and it doesn't appear that they have that. But Ashwani Gupta, the COO, uh, Uchida-san, the CEO, are talented people. And uh, you know I, I hope that their vision uh, leads to success. Let's talk a little bit about Nissan culture. Mm-hmm. You were at the nexus of really trying to craft a business megalith, if I could, with Renault-Nissan. Can such a marriage work without looking at hindsight? Is it possible to bring multiple cultures together without complete disruption? Uh, Yeah, it worked for 20 years. 
I mean, we didn't have the permanent structure, but we had converged functions. So manufacturing was working together and product engineering was working together. The only thing that we were left to do was to create a structure which was still allowed for the autonomy of the companies, but would have, I think, unleashed additional significant synergies if you had a holding company where Nissan and Renault were partners, but you had one board that would overlook uh, investment spending, uh, product development, um, product engineering. I think it would have been really something that would have been special. But it's something that we've hit on during this conversation is the the, the feeling within um, a couple of different cultures that they want to preserve their own culture, that that, they're, that some cultures view these uh, tie-ups as threats uh, for various reasons. So doesn't it just become very difficult culturally to, to sometimes wed two groups that where there may be factions that don't want to do it? Well, and I guess if you don't have somebody at the top, right, it all disappears. Sure. The faction at Nissan was small, mm-hmm. and they kept what they were doing very confidential. But at Nissan, you have about 220,000 employees. And 20 years into this, you had a large number of young up-and-coming executives that were used to the alliance, saw the benefits of the alliance, and, you know— Carlos Ghosn is an excellent communicator, and at the point in time that we were ready to move on a different structure, I'm sure he would have communicated very clearly what was happening in a way that would have motivated people to move forward with the group, which they had lived with for the last 20 years, in a different way, and in a way that would have made both companies much more successful. We've seen over the years other groups amass various brands and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. i can think of the number of leading executives who have left volkswagen group over the course of the last 10 to 20 years and of course that consists of all of those brands that are that are in there from um from lamborghini and bentley to to volkswagen and audi it really starts with the leader you have to have these dynamic individuals who are so different than the rest of the um uh, industry executives who who exist it and they're a rare breed, like Carlos Ghosn. There's not many people in the world that can run a large vehicle company. There's very few, or run a or a large group. company in general, right? Yeah, yeah. And he he clearly was one. But what he had on the Nissan team were really bright, forward-thinking people that wanted to make Nissan grow more profitable but also wanted to make it happen within a group because they understood, they're business people, that a big group that worked well together had the best prospect for thriving in the future. What's his legacy, Carlos Gones? Is it is it tainted with what's occurred over the last few years? Does it become um, second nature to think of the escape instead of the alliance? Well, in some ways, that's human nature, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but, you know, what he created uh, in terms of the group and what he sustained through many years, uh, I think, was pretty special in the industry. Um, and just as important, um, the people 
who have done very well in the industry since this issue occurred, look who got raised and developed in a Carlos Ghosn organization. I mean, Carlos Tavares, he's he's a very talented Head guy. of Stellantis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jose Munoz. Head of Hyundai. Uh, Daniele Scalacci is CEO of a, a brake company in Italy. Roland Kruger, who had been with BMW, joined us. He's now running Dyson in uh, Singapore. Christian Munier, the head of Jeep. Uh, Vincent Kobe, he's a CEO in, in the Stellantis group. And, and it's not only they're in those positions, but they're doing good jobs. And even the lo- younger generation, uh, Randy Parker, who's head of sales and marketing for Hyundai, Claudia Marquez, who's head of Genesis, uh, just really special people. A guy that worked for me that really did a good job in HR, Rune Bajaj, he's got a good job in Canada now. And he did a great job in terms of putting together a program to develop future leaders of Nissan who were from Japan. And that was something that was missing uh, early on when Carlos Ghosn got there. Great production, great product engineering. You know, Japanese vehicles in the 90s had a great reputation. They should have just been printing money. <laughs> they got $20 billion in debt. But over time, because of the commitment that we had, and Arun Bajaj carried this on, we had many younger Japanese in the pipeline and Munoz, Scalacci, and others were committed to make sure that future members of the top management team would be talented Japanese. And there are many, many talented Japanese at Nissan. It's just because of the culture of the company from the 90s that lingered, uh, not a lot of those were in the business side. You know, most were in the industrial side and in the product development Product development side, side. yeah. What remains of Carlos Ghosn's influence then within the alliance and its two or three main partners. How does he live on? Yeah, I, I, I think there have been actions that have been taken that have made the alliance completely different from when he was the head of the alliance. Uh, but within those companies, I'm sure his effect is still being felt. Well, you know, you've got a very talented guy, Ashwani Gupta, rose up and was developed by Carlos Ghosn and uh, you know he's focused on performance uh, and those kind of things as Uchida-san came up through that I'm sure before they got in their positions they were clearly influenced by uh, the focus that Carlos Ghosn had on performance creating good strategies and execution so I think people that were in that organization some of them probably are still focused on those things present day now um, several years later, neither Renault, Nissan, nor Mitsubishi have returned to the stock prices that they were trading at during the Gone Kelly days. Why is that? Well, really, the last few years, uh, there's been a struggle. You know, sales volumes have, have decreased significantly. There's been some issues with profitability. And really, up until recent announcement, it was unclear what the alliance was going to be. Yeah, what it was. Yeah. So I'm hopeful with this new strategy that, in fact, uh, growth will uh, again occur at Nissan, profitable growth, uh, and they'll be able to lead it into the future. There are even some reports, Greg, that uh, Chinese automaker Geely may partner with Renault now. Nissan's been criticized for a lack of vehicles that resonate within the market. So what 
what comes of all this when we look at it five years from now what does what do each one of those entities look like and how will it evolve in your mind well it clearly won't be an irreversible structure no uh so that's not going to happen uh i haven't studied closely nissan's strategies but they do have a midterm strategy out there and and the key will be uh execution of that strategy are you completely out of the auto industry? Outside of your day-to-day still dealing with your defense? At this point, yeah, I'm out of the auto industry. Do you want to go back? Uh, my wife and I, uh, when we got back in March of 2022, decided that for about a year uh, we would focus on one thing, and that was reconnecting with family and friends. Uh, so we've spent the last year traveling by car all over the country hmm. to just reconnect with people. And, and, you know, really from all walks of our life, you wouldn't, you couldn't uh, begin to understand the number of people that really tried to help us. Wrote hundreds of letters to congressmen, to the State Department. Um, you know, people from Nissan uh, have reached out to me uh, and, you know, told me that they thought this was all a shame that it occurred, that they knew that nothing wrong had happened. Um, but uh, we've tried to reconnect with former colleagues and, you know, with family members and a lot of people to go through. So, and it's been a good year. I mean, I was four years away from, from my home. I didn't meet my grandson, my youngest grandson, until he was two and a half years old. Oh. So, you know, and I'll tell you one thing. It is fun to be part of the grandparents club <laughs> and just watching them kind of grow and develop. We spent a lot of time with family and, and grandkids in the future. Uh, that chapter is still to be written, but uh, D and I are looking forward to that next chapter. Given uh, your return to the U S soil, you said it's like Dorothy mm-hmm. in the wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. Did you ever think you were not coming home? Uh, I was confident I'd get home because this was not a criminal matter, and I happen to have very good attorneys. This Kita Murasan is a tremendous trial attorney, and even though in the system he was in, he had both hands tied behind his back, I mean, he's one of the best trial attorneys I've ever met. So I, I had confidence I'd come home. I was scared of the system, but, you know, the facts and the excellent attorneys that represented me gave me hope. It's also an eye-opening story about the differences in culture, Greg, between two different cultures. You've described Japan as and the and the system that exists and the and the way that business is done in some cases as traveling to Mars while staying on Earth. Yeah, I have. It's like visiting another planet without leaving the Earth. And that's not said in a way that's a criticism. Right. It's just different. Oh, it's different. And that's really what makes, for me, business, international business, fascinating. Um, But the cultures, uh, uh, Japan and non-Japanese cultures, are are just completely different. But that's when you sit down and, you know, try to figure out a way forward where people from different cultures can work together effectively – and for 20 years, that happened. I mean, Carlos Ghosn's last year as CEO, Nissan made $6.5 billion. 
and sold 5.6 million vehicles. I would have to say that any country cultural differences did not get in the way of a team from different cultures performing very well in a very competitive market. What are lessons learned from your business culture experience? If I'm an American executive who is considering taking a position in Japan, what do I need to know? What are your 20 years of 30 years of wisdom um, and life lessons uh, applied there? Well, I, I think for someone from the U.S., you learn some things that you don't necessarily learn as well in the U.S. For one, um, I respect the Japanese culture, and I learned to listen better. Um, uh, and uh, learned many other things there. But what I learned the most was if you do listen well and if you do try to get to know the people you work with well, you can overcome any difference in culture between the countries and work together effectively. And, you know, I think the, the results that were achieved show that that was possible. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with former Nissan executive Greg Kelly. And to see my interview with Greg, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 90 interviews. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in New York. Now the continuation of my conversation with former Nissan executive Greg Kelly. And to see my interview with Greg, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 90 interviews. Have you seen the Carlos Ghosn movie that was blessed by him? Uh, I have not. Oh, all right. Well, there's probably a opportunity on the flight home. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll have to take a look at it. Um... You know, I've kind of... No interest? Uh, I mean, you're in it. Yeah, I, 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 I guess at some point I'll have to watch it. I, uh, you know, I've lived through the last several years. You lived the movie. It, yeah, so I'll have, to, I'll have to watch it. Okay. There's an Apple TV movie coming out as well. Yes. What's your involvement in that? I was interviewed. Um, what I've learned through this process because there's been a few documentaries that you may get interviewed four or five hours, but most of that hits the, the floor. So I'm, I'm just not sure what's going to come out from that. Do you plan to write a book at all, Greg? I uh, do. You do? Mm -hmm. Okay. What are you going to say in the book? <laughs> I'm going to talk about the experiences that I had. Yeah. Um, you know, the experiences I had working in a multicultural environment. The experiences I had at a very successful company, uh, the experiences of getting caught up in a system that I should never have been caught up in, uh, and what really went on that got me caught up in that system, um, and other things, but yeah, I'm in the process of that right now. You started writing the book? Mm -hmm. Do you have a publisher? 
I do not have a publisher at this point, but I, I do have an author, and he's an accomplished author. Excellent. So uh, working on that right now. Do you feel you've had the opportunity to, I mean, everybody talks about Carlos Ghosn in this situation, but not that many people talk about Greg Kelly. But you lived the 40 months. You lived the solitary confinement. You had to fight for all that you um, uh, have right now. Do you feel at least to some extent vindicated or, or that you're able to tell your story or that, you're, that you've had the opportunity to share what's gone on with you? Well, when you lose three and a half years of your life, you don't really feel vindicated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, what was made clear at the trial was that, you know, there was no criminal activity and that this really was a corporate matter that should have been resolved by Nissan, by the board. Um, it's surreal because to be disconnected from family and friends for three and a half years when really with my wife and I, our lives revolved around our family and friends was, you know, a difficult challenge. And it's been somewhat surreal to come back after that experience. But we worked through it day by day. And I think uh, we're blessed because we do have such a supportive family and such supportive friends and it's been unbelievable to get to reconnect with them the last year. What word, if it's not vindicated, Greg, what word best captures how you feel about this whole ordeal? Tragic. I think it's it's a tragic situation. It's tragic for individuals who had careers disrupted. It's tragic for employees who lost their job as a result of the business disruption that occurred. It's tragic for the shareholders uh, from the standpoint of what the possibilities were if we uh, formed one group that kept the autonomy of the companies, but I think would have helped their performance. Um, you know, I don't think anybody won from this situation at all. Uh, and I feel that's very unfortunate, and I hate that that occurred. I'm sure there were some dark moments in that cell. Do you still relive that on a daily basis, or have you moved? beyond it in your mind? You know, um, I've moved beyond it. It was a difficult time. I was in a tunnel. But uh, again, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm a very lucky man because uh, my spouse is somebody that, you know, uh, I love to be with. And uh, she's just a talented, supportive person. So... We've moved beyond it. We're going to live our lives. Got a lot to look forward to. You appreciate the word freedom now, I'm sure. <sighs> you know, people don't realize in this country how fortunate they are to be in this country. It's a wonderful country um, with opportunities for people, with the ability to speak your mind. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable how much you appreciate this country when you've been involuntarily forced to stay in another country. Um, just, it's a great country. There was a significant moment that occurred um, relative to Mr. Nada, who admitted ultimately that you were not guilty. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there were many steps in this case that were fascinating. 
but nine months after my arrest, Harry Nada, on July 3rd of 2019, gave a statement to Latham and Watkins, Nissan's attorneys, with his attorney present. And during that statement, he, he admitted this wasn't a criminal matter. He actually stated... The former head of the CEO's office. That former head of the CEO's office. He stated that the work that Saikawa-san and I had been doing with his support and with other attorneys was f- <clears throat> for a post-retirement arrangement with Carlos Ghosn for future services, including consulting and a covenant not to compete, and therefore didn't need to be reported because it had nothing to do with deferred compensation. And what was remarkable is that statement was never provided by the prosecutor or Nissan to my defense team. And what I later learned was there was a concerted effort to keep certain documents out of our hands. Mike Yoshi, one of the Latham and Watkins attorneys, on July 5th of 2019, wrote an email to others where he said, recommended that Nissan request a prosecutor return documents that would never be produced to us. And in fact, he had a list of documents he wanted to use as a trial balloon to go to the prosecutors. And some of those documents were exculpatory, including the work that Latham did with Harry Nada in crafting and revising his statement that was given to the prosecutors. You know, completely things in there that were exculpatory. The result of Yoshi's recommendation was that the prosecutor returned 6,000 documents to Nissan that we never saw. Hmm. And given the list that he showed as a trial balloon, clearly there were exculpatory documents. In fact, this not a statement was never provided to us. And another attorney who worked with Yoshi uh, Kobayashi from Latham and Watkins, he testified at trial and refused to even testify about the NADA statement on the grounds of privilege, even though no privilege existed. Um, so, you know, um, that was the situation. Well, that admission would be vindication, Greg. Oh, it, it was vindication. Right. I mean, he's the guy that worked as the in-house counsel with outside counsel to consider how to best continue this relationship with Carlos Ghosn, which really was in the best interest of Nissan. You know, usually when you hire a consultant, you get an expert on dealer relations or an expert on purchasing. Imagine Carlos Ghosn. He can speak to governments. He can negotiate incentives. He can look at the CEO of Nissan's business plan for whom he's consulting and point out things in the business plan, potential business deals. He can review that for us. And like I say, we had his intellectual property rights. If he came up with some ideas, which I'm sure he would have, it would have been a big payback for Nissan. The other thing we wanted him to be, which he didn't want to be, and that was part of the negotiation (laughs) for the future, was we wanted him to be a spokesperson. Can you imagine Carlos Ghosn as a spokesperson for the group? He didn't want to do that, but that was one of the things that Kyle-san and I were pushing. All of that would have been unbelievably uh, valuable uh, to Nissan and to the group. Uh, And, you know, Carlos Ghosn, back in 18, was only 64. And the guy is energetic. Uh, So if he'd give us 1,000 hours a year and get to do the other things he wanted to do, he'd have been fresh. It really would have been a special situation. 
Any contact at all? Any emails, phone calls in the in the last six to twelve months with him? Are you in touch? I had that conversation with him, you know, after I got back. And that was it. Yeah, uh, that was it. So, just by design, don't you're you're both moving on. No, I think we'll we'll have further conversations in the future. I mean, it he's, really wasn't by design. He's trapped in Lebanon to some extent. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate. Uh, it was I mean, a red notice still out for him. That's what I understand. Right. In my view, he still has a lot to offer uh, to any company that would be interested. I mean, he would be somebody that could really provide some value. Uh, he's seen it all. And not only has he seen it all, he's thrived uh, in some pretty difficult circumstances. I mean... In 2017, I think Renault had one of its best years performance-wise. I mean, he was running two Fortune 500 companies. And the companies were doing well. And for me, a very important thing is he had the team for the future. So he wasn't just getting the results. He had people in place who would have taken this to the next level. You have many friends still within the company. Are you in touch with them at all? Well, they've been in touch with me. Mm -hmm. I've had many from all over the world that have contacted me, both from Renault and from Nissan. Um, and it's been gratifying to hear from them. Um, and, uh, you know, really, there's some very fine people at both those companies. You mentioned grandparent time. You mentioned a book. Mm -hmm. Where else do you go from here? Where does the Greg Kelly story continue? We're still... Uh, considering how to write that chapter and when I say we uh, you know D and I are considering doing some things together um, in terms of charitable things with our church that we now have time freed up to do and we just got to step back and say you know what are the things we want to do but there's a lot of good opportunities and we really are looking forward to the future so uh, playing catch with the grandsons at the top of my list, though. Yeah. Well, uh, you you use the word tragic, but I and we've talked about vindication. I, I think we can also talk about happiness, which I, I know you, you definitely feel now today. Thank you for sharing your story with us here. Well, I greatly appreciate the chance to get to share it. Thank you, Greg Kelly. Thanks to my guest today, former Nissan executive Greg Kelly. And to see my interview with Greg, including part one and part two, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 90 interviews. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in New York. We'll see you down the road.